Welcome, everyone, to the Monday edition of Couch Potato Diary, coming to you from the Clearwater Cleaning Solutions broadcast studio. Clearwater Cleaning Solutions is your one-stop commercial and residential cleaning company based out of Calgary. They have a fantastic team who are ready to make your life simpler and easier by fulfilling all of your cleaning needs. Find them online, clearwatercleaningsolutions.com. A busy weekend in the world of sports. We have hockey playoffs to preview, basketball playoffs to react to, an NFL draft that went predictable but unpredictable at the same time we'll explain and i'll just gush about the blue jays to end the show uh so we thank you i say we it's me i thank you for joining me today we begin with the stanley cup playoffs which begin tonight and this is going to be uh just run through all of the series first of all i haven't been on here since uh it was announced but thank you to the steve dangle podcast network we have started a, a new podcast over there it is game over calgary myself and Audie are coming at you guys after every Flames playoff game. Uh, so if you want my... I mean, I'm, I'm still going to do... Nothing here changes. It's just I'm in this room. Uh, and, and just a little bit more now. But, um, yeah, going to be... If you want, like, live reaction coming off of those, just follow me on social media, at PrimetimeKlein on Twitter and Instagram. We'll put up the, the links to the YouTube um, show that we do, and then it's available in podcast form shortly thereafter. So... Really excited about that. Really, really excited about it, honestly. And I, I think it's the start of something really big with this network, and I'm happy to be a part of it. Um, so with that, and again, with my previous broadcast experience, I want to start our playoff um, breakdown, I guess, with the Calgary Flames. The issue is, there isn't a whole lot to break down with this series. I think it's a fantastic matchup for Calgary. They get it on the last day of the regular season when the Predators blow a 4-0 lead against Arizona, and that allows... Dallas to leapfrog the Preds into the second spot, I guess, or the first wildcard spot, I guess, and the Predators fall into that second wildcard spot. They play Colorado. We will talk about that game in a minute. So this does seem to work out very well for the Flames because I don't think, like, while Dallas can play some low-event hockey, and it's the playoffs, it's all going to be a grind. That's kind of just what this is. This series is going to be, I think, physically a little bit easier on the Flames than a Nashville series would have been. I think Calgary has a significant advantage at forward. I think they have a significant advantage in goal. On the blue line, they're pretty even. I give the edge to Calgary as well. I don't think this series will be particularly close, to be perfectly honest with you. I'm going Calgary with a sweep. I'm saying Flames in four. Edmonton taking on the Kings. I really like this matchup for Edmonton as well. Uh, I think that their forward group is quite a bit better than the Kings. I think LA's blue line is a touch better, and I'm not confident about either team's goalie. This is going to be that kind of styles makes fights sort of a series. I think that if if people online are talking about how boring this series is, that's a excuse me, gigantic win for the LA Kings. That is, th that's what they want. If this series is a track meet, it's going to be over quick. The Kings, I just don't think can score enough to keep up with the Edmonton Oilers. And Mike Smith in the postseason actually hasn't been terrible as much as we all like to make fun of Mike Smith, his time in Calgary. They were chanting for him at the end because he played so well. He, he can, I'm not saying he is like a, an obvious, okay, this guy's going to step up and lead this team to the promised land, but I think he's going to lead them past the Kings. I have Edmonton in five. Colorado taking on Nashville. This is another one. And this is weird. Like, I am excited for these playoffs. I really, I honestly, truly am. And I'm saying the first 
four of these are going to be done by the time the weekend's here, it seems like. Um, I, I see no chance in the series for Nashville. They, they cannot score with Colorado. They cannot defend Colorado. And uh, David Riddick is in goal because UC Saros is potentially out for a month. They're, they're, I, I truthfully do not see a way Nashville wins in this series. This is... This is a flex in autumn series for Colorado. This is the, hey, we've heard a couple people say that maybe this style and maybe this team doesn't work in the postseason. Here's four in your face. Boom. That didn't make a ton of sense, but I'm rolling with it. Colorado in a sweep. And now we make up for the blah that is the ass kickings that I think the first three series are going to have as we have Minnesota against St. Louis. This is such a close series. And this is such an interesting series to me. I mean, clearly, it's the most interesting series to me, just from an outside perspective of the first round. I think that the Wild have the edge on the blue line and in goal, and I think that helps them in this series, but this is going to be such a close one. Like, this one, the goal differential by the end of it might be even. That's how close these two teams are are going to be. I think the Blues have a bit more depth at forward, but I also think... Minnesota has the best player in this series in <clears throat> Kirill the Thrill. So this is going to be such a fun series to watch. I cannot wait. And I think we're getting the max. I think this one goes seven. On to the Eastern Conference. And I know a lot of Leaf fans would have are, are kind of happy to avoid Boston because of, you know, the past and everything like that. I think this is a worse matchup for Toronto than the Bruins is. I think it's going to be a great close series, but I think, like, everything that Toronto does, Tampa Bay has done at a championship level. And that another thing that concerns me in this from a, a Toronto perspective is there's a very real chance that Vasilevsky is just the best player in this series, and then Toronto doesn't have a hope, right? But the one thing that I think might be on the Leafs' side is all the success that Tampa Bay has had. Now let me explain. The Lightning have played so much more hockey over the last two years than the Leafs have. Now, that leads to great things, right? Tampa Bay has won two Stanley Cups, while Toronto is sitting here still looking for their first playoff win, uh, first playoff series win in a long time. There are people who are buying alcohol today who were born when that series, that last Toronto series win was. Like, that. that's how long it has been. So, for for the Leafs, at some point, that catches up to you. Now, I mean, for Tampa Bay, that at some point, that catches up to you, right? Like, that. that is a lot of hard miles to put on the body. There might just be a point where Tampa Bay just wears down in this series. So, I think... I, I think Toronto gets this one done, but it is not going to be easy. So Toronto in seven there. Boston, Carolina. This is another very interesting one to me. I think that, like, I like Carolina's forward depth more than I like Boston. I, I think I think Carolina's a better team. Um, I, I like the forward depth more. I like Boston's defense a little bit better than Carolina's, but again, I like the higher end of Carolina's more than I like Boston. And I think sometimes we can, I mean, you have to focus on depth in hockey more so than in basketball, but I think sometimes we can get kind of caught up on the depth, depth stuff a little bit. That was easy to say. Because, like, some of these defensemen, the, the high-level defensemen for Carolina, are just going to play half an hour in this game. Like, that's just how it's going to. Maybe not in this series, but at some point. Like, sometimes, oh man, what's this third and fourth line going to do? I don't know, man. Probably fucking nothing. And they'll be okay with it. Like, that's that that's kind of where I'm at on, on the depth conversation. I would rather have a bit more high-end talent that you can ride a little bit more in the postseason. Now, the obvious, like... The real answer to that is kind of in the middle, but when we're breaking these things down, I, I think I'll take the upper echelon talent over the depth, and I think at this point, 
on in 2022, Carolinas is better than Boston's. If we're looking at it from an all-time perspective, well, of course not. But in this exact moment, I pick Carolina. The, the one thing that is the main concern is no Freddie Anderson for Carolina. I think that hurts them, but I do think they're able to survive it. I say Carolina in six. Rangers taking on Pittsburgh. There is a lot of respect that Pittsburgh has earned for the dynastic run that they have been on since drafting Sidney Crosby many, many years ago. And this does have a last dance feel to it with Malkin probably leaving by way of free agency. So there's, there is a lot going on, but I honestly don't think this series is all that close. I I think that the Rangers are built for this time of year. I think they have the high end talent that can match the high end talent on Pittsburgh. I think that their depth can grind away at this series. I like the Rangers blue line and they have a goalie who could just steal them games. If all of that goes for naught. if I'm wrong on literally everything else, I know that the Rangers have a substantial edge between the pipes. And I think that gets them this series win. I got Rangers in five last one. Florida taking on Washington. This feels like a bit of a changing of the guard. We've talked before about how Washington's kind of on their last legs. They got to 100 points this season. I think that's more because the rest of the East sucked than this dominant 100-point team that the Washington Capitals were. You have Florida, who is finally living up to the potential that they have had seemingly for years. The only way this goes sideways is if Bobrovsky slips on a banana peel a couple times, which he is definitely capable of doing, but... I just, I don't see that biting them this round. I have Panthers in five. So the rest of my playoff bracket, as I slowly pull it up here, um, the way I have this set up, or the way I picked all of these, is Colorado, Minnesota in the second round, Edmonton, Calgary in the second round, which, oh boy, gets me all different kinds of fired up. Uh, My Western Conference final is then Colorado against Calgary, and your Western Conference champions on my bracket, the Colorado Avalanche. With my bracket, as I made those predictions in the East, the second round is Florida taking on Toronto and Carolina taking on the Rangers. Coming out of that, my Eastern Conference final is Toronto taking on the New York Rangers, and I have the Maple Leafs making it to the Stanley Cup final where they lose to the Colorado Avalanche in six games. So my Stanley Cup champions for 2022, very much off the board, the Colorado Avalanche. The music that you hear on Couch Potato Diary is provided by Wasted Talent. You can find them on Instagram, at Wasted Talent, with X is where the A's would be. And you can find their producer on the Instagram, on the Instagram, at Tommy Fresh Music. On to the NBA playoffs now. We have two series starting up tonight. That is Miami taking on Philadelphia and Dallas taking on Phoenix. Uh, We have two series that have already started. Milwaukee facing Boston and then a wonderful game between Golden State and Memphis um, to kick off round two yesterday. We'll start Milwaukee-Boston. That was a very uncharacteristic Boston performance. I, I thought they were sloppy with the basketball. I thought the attacking mentality they had in round one was gone. And I think a lot of that is because of that giant Greek man standing in the paint. I think Giannis really got into the heads of the Boston Celtics in this game. And then I think Drew Holiday took over. I thought Drew Holiday was great, forcing a lot of the turnovers, a couple of big threes early in this game when Boston was starting to pull ahead. Um, the the turnovers were, were such a huge, huge, huge issue. And then for Milwaukee, there was a stretch there where Giannis was on the uh, on the on the bench, and it was kind of like in Game One when Embiid sat out for Philadelphia against the Raptors, and 
the 76ers pulled ahead in that point. In this game, Giannis was on the bench and Milwaukee stayed even with Boston. And at that point, it was kind of felt like, oh, this might be over already. And then you get big contributions from Portis. You get big contributions from Connaughton um, coming off of the bench. But the, the main thing in this game was just how sloppy Boston was with the basketball. I thought some of the shots that they were settling for were not great. I thought that some of the turnovers that they had were just turnovers you haven't seen this team make at any point this season. Like it was it was very much surprising. Um Tatum did not have a great game. I thought Brown did not have a good game. Smart was still in there battling, but Derek White he was basically non-existent in this game. Like just no one really stepped up for Boston in a way that they did step up, step up for Milwaukee. And for the Bucks now, it it seems like Middleton's probably out for this whole series, but the fact that Milwaukee is able to get one on the road with no Middleton, it's a huge win in this series for the Bucks. I, I'm sure Boston is going to readjust, but this was this was an eye-opener in how not great Boston looked in game one. Golden State taking on Memphis. The Grizzlies end up falling on a last-second layup that just doesn't go in. There isn't a whole lot to critique from Memphis's performance. I think they played about as well as they could. It's just Golden State ended up being one point better. Like, I'd love to X's and O's the hell out of this and, oh, if they did X, Y, and Z, but this team did Z, Y, and X. Well, but that's just not what happened here. What happened here was that Golden State just happened to make their last shot and Memphis didn't. The thing that I really appreciate watching Golden State is their off-the-ball movement is art. And you see, when some of these teams get stuck, I think we saw it with Boston, quite frankly. We definitely saw it against Boston with Brooklyn in the first round. We'll see it sometimes. All of these teams, like, I, I shouldn't say all these teams, most of these teams, when it starts to slow down a little bit is when people stop moving and the ball stops moving and it's just ISO 3, ISO 3, ISO drive 2. This off-ball movement that Golden State has just creates so many opportunities. You had Peyton with a couple of big buckets late. You had Wiggins with a couple of big open looks late. Their ability to move and create without the basketball, I think, separated them in this game. It's unfortunate for Memphis that they lose with such a great performance from Triple J, Jaron Jackson Jr. Man, he is right there in breaking out into superstardom. Like, if he can take, and they may still win this series, but if he can take another bit of a step next year, then this Memphis team might be unstoppable. He is such he is such a great defender. The fact that his three-point shot was falling in this game makes him extremely scary. He's athletic. Like, it is just, we saw everything that you've ever wanted to see from Jaron Jackson Jr., in this game, and it still just wasn't wasn't quite enough. The foul at the end of the first half that gets Draymond Green ejected, I thought, you can't eject a player in a playoff game for that. If it's January, like on a Tuesday, and Draymond Green does that, it's like, hey, don't be shitty, you're out of here. But in a playoff game that was as contested as this one was, um, I don't think you can do that. Uh, and, uh, and then Draymond, the way he reacted after was extremely childish. And I get frustrations and all that stuff. But And it, it, it kind of showed the fine line that Golden State has been walking with Draymond for a while and how they've been able to maximize that. Because you can't, you can't take all that away from him, right? Because then he's not as effective as a basketball player. Um, because he has to kind of ride that lightning bolt when he's defending as well as he is. But it really does show how they've been able to kind of... And to, to his credit, he's been able to harness it too. I'm not just saying like, he, he's just the, this uh, wild man who Golden State has been able to to tame or anything like that. It's more like Draymond has understood what he needs to do to help this team be successful. And they understand how far they can kind of 
how much rope they can give him, basically. But his reaction at the end of that was kind of embarrassing. But then coming out of it, like Golden State, I thought played very well in the second half. And to, to pick up again, win on the road with no Draymond, it's a really, really good win. I like how they use Peyton in this game defensively. He is one of the better defensive players in the league. He's just there's too many good offensive weapons on Golden State for him to not be or for him to be out there for an extended period of time. But and, and then he comes up with a couple of big baskets in a game where every basket was crucial. So this series is going to be a blast. Again, you feel for Memphis because I don't I don't think they did a ton wrong. A ton wrong. They just ended up not winning this basketball game. NFL draft, uh, not going to go pick by pick. We're going to run through all 240 of them. No, um, we have just a, a few notes on on some of the teams. I'm not going to go over every team's draft. Might do that on Friday's show, although things are going to get very busy around these here parts over the next little while. But um, this is all in alphabetical order, so take that for what you will, I guess. Um, Arizona, they I think they overpaid for Marquise Brown, and it's... It's tough because I think he's going to play well there. You know, like, I, I think he is going to fit in there quite well. I think he is the speed burner guy over the top that they have been looking for for forever and have wasted a bunch of draft picks on. But I just feel like a first for Marquise Brown is an overpay. Giving up a first-round pick for a guy who is going to be your number two receiver just felt, it felt like an overpay. But then it feels like an excellent fit in Carolina. Like, I think he is going to to handle this well. With, his, with with this offense and really maybe unlock a couple of things with New Hopkins and Kyler Murray. So I, I think I think Arizona did well, but just the results are fine. The process I didn't like, I guess is what I'm getting at there. For Atlanta, um, Drake London wouldn't have been my choice for numbers. Um, what was it? They were number eight overall uh, at receiver, but they needed a receiver badly, and this is the guy who they saddled on. So time will tell if he stands out above the other 150 receivers that seem to go in this draft. Um, I like Ebiquete a lot, and then taking Ritter in the third, they, they interest me. Like, I, I'm at least keeping an eye on what's happening in Atlanta now, when before it was just like, man, they just need everything. Like, it's it's rough. Uh, for Baltimore, Kyle Hamilton may end up being the best player in this draft, and then to follow that up with Linderbaum and Ojabo, um, you, you can see why people are giving Baltimore an A. And I think in teams that, they, they're at least in the running for teams that had the best draft. I think it's them, um, and we'll get to the other teams in a little bit, but I think it's the Jets, and I think Seattle had a really good draft as well. So th- those are the teams that kind of stood out above the rest. For Buffalo, adding Cook is really good. Like, he he is a talented running back. He is a strong running back, and that is a team that needed one of those guys. So I think that that is a perfect landing spot for Cook, and I think an excellent draft pick for them. I like Carolina. I, I said before um, in the interview that I had with Bender up on YouTube, Carolina was a team that I was really fascinated in because there is 100% a world where they talk themselves into Pickett or they talk themselves into Willis and they reach on a quarterback at six because, well, you need a franchise quarterback and so you never drafted and never never go too early on a quarterback. And we established, and the entire league established, there was a level that was too high for these quarterbacks. And for a lot of them, it was even the second round. So I was worried that Carolina was going to be stupid. And the fact that they weren't is awesome. And then it ends up pretty good. Like, they get a Kwanwu, who is one of the, the better offensive linemen in this draft, and then they get Matt Corral in the third. He can at least push Sam Darnold, and then next year, either you're in a spot to draft one of the good quarterbacks coming out, or there's a, a remarkable quarterback carousel again, uh, another year closer to maybe a Jimmy Garoppolo thing or something. So, 
I think Carolina was actually really smart. I don't think they made their team a thousand times better, but they they did, I think, exactly what they should have done in the spot that they were drafting in. Um, checking out a few more of my notes here. Notebook sounds. Detroit has a killer draft. This was an excellent, excellent, excellent one. Um, you get Aiden Hutchinson at two, which works out great. Like, um, he was my number one in the whole draft process. And then the rumors, oh, well, they think Trayvon Walker is the next Eldon Smith. I was like, that's fine. Um, Hutchinson's just better though. So why, why not go with, okay, fine, whatever, just because you can make a better comparable, I guess, by all means, go for it. Um, I, I think Hutchinson can be a, a game changer with Detroit. And then Jamison Williams, you know he's not going to play this year, or at least most of this year, because he blew out his ACL in the national championship game. And if he doesn't, like, he might be a top three pick. Like, we talk about Kyle Hamilton maybe being the best player in this draft. There is a very real world where Jamison Williams is the best player in this draft, and it looks hilarious later on Wikipedia that he goes 12. Like, he... I think he has potential game-changing ability. And for Detroit to get two potential superstars out of this draft is a gigantic win for them. Green Bay, just at this point, they're trolling us, right? Like, they go two defensive players. And also, I like the two defensive players they took in the, the first round. Um, but then you end up with two interesting receivers in Christian Watson and Romeo Dubs, who, again, we talked about with Bender coming out of Nevada. So you can you add a little bit of Nevada-tude to your team. And they're able to, again, they didn't get a number one. Um, I think both those, like, those are, like, kind of number two, number three type of receivers. At where they were picking, they were never going to get number ones. So, I, I, it was very smart what they did, but now they do need to figure out what they are doing with their number one receiver spot. Because now that A.J. Brown is no longer with the Tennessee Titans, it becomes a little bit more difficult for them to, to find a path to that number one guy. Houston, uh, the, the Stingley over Sauce Gardner pick is going to be debated for forever. Uh, Kenyon Green is a nice ad, and not only because he's Canadian or because he went to Alabama, but I think Mechie is an interesting ad there with, with him now in Cooks at receiver with a young quarterback throwing to him. So I, I think Houston did kind of okay. Jacksonville, man alive. Trayvon Walker at one is... I think a huge gamble and there's a lot of projection going on there. Like you can see the measurables and stuff like he, he, he is obviously a talented player, but he wasn't as productive in college and he wasn't as productive in college because he was on a team that just got seven players drafted to the NFL. So you, there, there are roles that you have to fill, but I, it's not a pick I would have made if I, if I were Jacksonville, like it just, of all the guys up top, maybe him and Thib uh, Thibodeau, were the guys who have like the biggest bust potential if you take them at one. And then the rest of their draft was just kind of meh. I will say, in Jacksonville's defense, because everyone's saying, oh, well, this is number one. Like, if you're just going to tra take Trayvon Walker, you got to trade down. It's like, who? With who? No, there is no team who is in desperate need of a starting quarterback. And there is no one else at any of the premium positions. Like, it, if you wanted to trade up above Detroit to get Aiden Hutchinson, then fine, Detroit can just follow that up with, again, either Walker um, or Thibodeau. Like, th there wasn't that one guy who was like, okay, well, this team is definitely going to give up other assets to move into the number one spot. It is it, it is lovely to say Jacksonville should have just traded down. You do have to, you got to tell me with who. And you got to tell me why the other team would give up assets to move into that number one pick when basically every position you can kind of just wait on right now or at that point in the draft. So... Jacksonville in a bit of a tough spot, but they still, I don't think, did very well with it.
On to Kansas City. Uh, McDuffie at corner, uh, I think with the, the wide receiver, corner uh, quarterback combinations that you have in this division, I think that was actually actually pretty smart. Kaloftis is, I think, going to be one of those picks that really annoys me over the next, like, 10 years as a Raider fan. Just going to be like, oh, this motherfucker again. Like, there's going to be that. And then Sky Moore is an interesting ad. I, I think Kansas City, again, they're in a tough spot after trading Tyreek Hill. I don't think they got proper value in giving up Tyreek Hill. And so because of that, I think that it was always going to be difficult for them to come out and win this draft for like to, to have this feel like, okay, they are back on track. But boy, do I like some of the additions that they made um, for the Raiders. They didn't have a lot to pick from as their first pick wasn't until the third round. But then to to come away with Parham, a guy who can play three positions in the offensive line is something I am perfectly OK with. And then. The, the one thing that I, I didn't love is drafting a couple of running backs. I, I thought that was maybe not the direction I was going to, to go in. Continuing our, our kind of rapid fire look at this draft, we go to the LA Chargers. Zion Johnson is a great addition to an offensive line that, again, I think you need to... The, the main focus around this entire franchise is protect Justin Herbert, protect Justin Herbert, protect Justin Herbert. And then Spiller in the fourth is a great ad for the Chargers. And I, I think that if you were to give them truth serum last year, they were too reliant on Austin Eckler at the running back position. You have Spiller, a guy who uh, some people had around the second round, have him going into the fourth is going to be a nice addition, I think, for the Chargers. The New England Patriots... They are, I like, again, a lot of money has been lost betting against Bill Belichick over the years. There is no doubt about that. But this offseason has felt like a disaster. And this just kind of put the exclamation mark on it. They traded back and then they traded up for a guy who di they didn't have any video on and draft rooms and or on the, the broadcast. And it's like, oh, well, maybe you could have got this guy in the fourth. Like, it, it, it really felt like not a good draft for the Patriots to kind of cap off a not good offseason. For them, for New Orleans, they trade up to get Olave. I'm seeing a lot of criticism around that. I think Olave is fine. I actually think he's really good. And I think if they do get Michael Thomas back, that is a nice one-two punch that you have to try to rebuild your offense around. This is a team that has, I think, bigger needs than that. But I don't mind adding talent on offense with a defensive-minded coach who can maybe try to maximize your defense that way. Um, the Giants nailed this draft. Uh, Kayvon Thibodeau, and then you get Neil. Like, those are two, those are two, I don't want to say game changers. I feel like I've been saying that too much. But those are two guys who are going to start for you for a long time and two kind of foundation pieces to, to help you out in the trenches. They get another offensive lineman in the third. Exactly, exactly the draft the Giants needed. Same thing with the Jets. New York is very happy today. Um, Sauce Gardner, I think, can really help, again, in a division where you have to face Hill and Waddle and Diggs, having just a, a potential lockdown corner is going to help. Garrett Wilson, I think, was kind of the safe pick at receiver. I don't, like, there's a there's a chance he finishes as, like, the fourth or fifth best receiver coming out of this draft. But also, I, I feel like there's very little chance that he's going to be just, like, full-on bust. You know, like, everyone else's best case scenario, I don't think 
his hits as high as everyone else, but I also don't think his floor is as low as everyone else's. And now you have him with um, Maguire, you have Davis for another year, and Barrios. Like, you're starting to build something on that offense. Philadelphia, they make the big splash and get A.J. Brown. You guys know I am a huge A.J. Brown fan, so I like this trade a lot for Philadelphia. You, you are looking to help out your young quarterback, and you're looking to help out your organization and seeing what you have in that young quarterback. And so with that, I th- this is now make it or break it year for Jalen Hurts and uh, a big year for Philadelphia. I think this trade moves them up in the Pantheon as, a, again, already a team that made the postseason. I think that they that they, they are going to be a team to watch out for in the NFC East this season. Picking at 20 to the Pittsburgh Steelers is very reasonable. Again, I don't think he's a franchise quarterback. I don't think that existed in this draft, but he is an upgrade over what they had at the quarterback position, and taking that at 20 is fine. Like, there, there was definitely, I was prepared to hate wherever quarterback went, and then when it was, when 20 was the first one, it was, oh, well, that's fine. You had a lot of people linking Pittsburgh to Willis, um, and that I, I think that would have been okay too. But this is a th- this is a very good selection, I think, for for Pittsburgh. Uh, for Seattle, I'm surprised they didn't go quarterback, but they did exactly what what, what I would have done. Um, building that foundation so that when you do bring in a quarterback. Now it's not okay. Well, we still don't have an offensive line or much of a defense to speak of, but yeah, go get them, young quarterback. They, I think they did that. Cross on on the offensive line is strong. They get Mafe, Walker. I think has the potential to be the best running back in this draft. To come away with that as a one-two-three, I think is a, a an excellent, excellent draft for Seattle. Tennessee, I think they've taken a step back now with no AJ Brown. Um, like there's just I get this team isn't based on passing anyway, and they're going to hope that the style of their offense doesn't need like a big threat number one receiver. But you you cannot tell me this Tennessee Titans team is better than the one that we saw exit the postseason last year. Like I just I I don't I don't see it with Tennessee. And and I think you look at a Colts team that I think got much more reliable this year. You're still going to get your wins over the Houston Texans and Jacksonville, but in terms of being a threat at a championship, it feels like the Titans are prepared to take a couple of steps back so they can take a couple of steps forward. They get Willis. I think that's really interesting. I think this team is going to look a lot different in a couple of years than they do today. Um, lastly, the Toronto Blue Jays just continue to amaze me. I I cannot speak highly enough about how good this Blue Jays team is playing right now, and this is a massive series coming up against the Yankees. Uh, New York has been beating up on some of the lesser teams, while the Blue Jays are coming out with some very character-building wins against some very good baseball teams here early in the season. And if they can, if they can continue this run of winning series against the Yankees. Oh, you're just going to feel so good because you know the tough part of the Yankee schedule is coming up and the Blue Jays are already through what would have to be considered one of the toughest stretches of their season already. So it's that this is, a, again, a big early season matchup for the Toronto Blue Jays. That's going to do it for the program today. Uh, Once again, thank you to Clearwater Cleaning Solutions. They are your one-stop commercial and residential cleaning company based out of Calgary. They have a fantastic team who are ready to make your life simpler and easier by fulfilling all of your cleaning needs. Uh, Check me out on Game Over Calgary over on the Steve Dangle Podcast Network YouTube page coming up after Flames and Stars Game 1 tomorrow. Uh, Hoping to do a Twitch tomorrow during the day to kind of get you ready for that game. And then we'll be back here podcast form 
on Wednesday. So that's the schedule. Talk to y'all later. I'm out.